name is Jacob, and this is episode 80, Henry's Road to Emperorship. I'm extremely excited to be going back to Berlin and hoping to see some sights I did not see last time, and hopefully I'll be able to take some good pictures for y'all. Uh, we'll just have to see. Now, with that being said, of course, this is why this episode's coming out a little bit earlier than usual. Plus, we also have the holidays coming up, and so usually around that time, uh, I'm not going to be that active with the podcast. With that in mind, we will be back on schedule, of course, at the end of January. So keep an eye out for an episode at that point. Other than that, I just want to thank you all for a wonderful year. And I really hope that we have another great one in 2023. Okay, so back into the story. Now, for our last episode, we dealt with the young Otto III, who tried to LARP the Roman Empire, much to the annoyance of the Italians and the overall mehness of the Germans. The Germans were basically happily to be left alone, though they did honor the emperor's wish and brought his body back into Germany to be buried, while the Italians were extremely annoyed because he was in their business 24-7. And so while the Germans were solemnly carrying his body back into Germany, well, the Italians were cursing his name and doing all they could to mess up the procession. The problem we were left with was that Otto was young. I mean, really young. He still hadn't even met his fiancée to get married. He was that young. So when your king dies with no clear successors, you create the worst crisis for any monarchy. Who's going to take over next? Now, the succession crisis immediately begins as soon as he dies. And it will, in fact, uh, ramp up as the procession is going from Rome up into Germany. But before we get into the actual secession crisis, I want to talk about three of the candidates and what happens to one of them. If you glanced at the family tree of the Ottonians, the royal line of the empire right now, the closest relative that was a male, very important, was the distant cousin Henry of Bavaria. That's right, that's the son of Henry the Quarrelsome, the guy who had made previous Otto's lives crazy. Henry the Quarrelsome would have been rubbing his hands gleefully, you know, if he wasn't busy being dead right now, knowing that his family was about to take over the throne. However, Henry, the younger, the one that's in line for the succession, was not the only one to claim the throne. He, in fact, had two opponents. The first was Eckhard of Messine, and the second was Hermann of Swabia. So, Let's deal with Eckhard. Eckhard was from Thuringia and was the eldest son of Margrave Gunther of Meserburg. He had fought in Sicily against the Muslim forces under the direction of the Holy Roman Empire's agents and proved himself as a capable warrior. He also had proven himself as a powerful leader and persuasive diplomat when he rallied members of the imperial court into a faction to free Otto III from his cousin Henry the Troublesome, the father of his current rival's attempt to rule after the death of Otto II. We talked about that two episodes ago. When Otto III came to power, Eckhard was asked to take over the failed attempts to put down the Slavic tribes in the Great Slav Rising and proved himself to be extremely effective at it. He also supported Otto III during his Roman romance and ran northern German border territory, building strong relations with the Polish tribes and Duke Boleslas, who, as we talked about last episode, was becoming the preeminent chief in that region. He also took part in the put-down of the Roman rebellion that nearly had the Pope in its clutches 
998. So as you can see, he's played a very important role in keeping Otto on the throne and securing the borders of the empire and building strong relationships within and without of the empire. Now, Hermann of Swabia, don't have as much on him. He is the son of Conrad I of Swabia, though there is some discussion on who his mother is. <clears throat> uh, and while he had done very little other than rule Swabia after his father passed away, he did accompany the emperor on his Italian campaign and was a favorite among the court. So we have Henry of Bavaria, who has the family connection, but has very little support among the court at the moment. We have Eckhard, a proven general with stronger relations among the court, though not the strongest, and has proven himself in the military and diplomatic fields. And then we have Hermann, who has the strongest relationships among the court, but still really needs to prove himself. He hasn't done much in order to show that he is worthy of the throne. So out of these three, who do you think would be the first to be knocked out of the election? Well, if for some reason your answer was Eckhart, then you either know your history, and you know, that's really cheating, that's not fair, or you need to play the lottery. Because, yeah, you are right. The candidate with the most going for him is the first to get knocked out of the election. Eckhart was the favored for winning the election for emperor, as he had the powerful connections in courts, and had proven himself. He also had the distinction to be the only candidate was, that was from the right area of Germany. The Saxons were really wanting to hold on to the emperorship, and neither Henry or Hermann were Saxon. Eckhard was, or at least was close enough, and so he started to garner their support. But, unlike your guess, Eckhard was not so lucky when it came time to politic. As the election came close, it turned out that Eckhard had started to really believe he was going to win, and as such, he did not really play the game of politics. The nobles were turned off from Eckhard when he refused to garner their support, and as such, refused to confirm their votes for him. Now, Eckhard still believed he could win, and in fact, it still looked like he might win in the end, and he decided to go throughout the empire trying to garner their support at the last minute. Now, this meant that Eckhard started to gain more supports, which really made one of his opponents, Henry, very, very nervous. Henry had been doing a lot of politicking himself and had started to become the favored among the three. But now that Eckhard was back on the rise, well, that meant Henry needed to do something about it. And it seemed that maybe Henry did do something about it. Because as Eckhard was going throughout the country, he stopped to be honored by Bishop Bernvad, who would show his support for Eckhart's case and probably be a swing vote come time for the election. However, while he was there, he was murdered in the monastery. Now, the case was made that this was done by Count Henry III of Stad. For other reasons, uh, there was a dispute between the families. But there's very little doubt among historians that... Henry's hands were also covered in Eckhart's blood, that Stad did not do this on his own. He'd gotten Henry's blessing at the least, if not got pushed by Henry to take care of this problem. So with Eckhart out completely of the election, this left Henry and Hermann as the opposing successors to the emperor. Henry had tried pretty early on to secure support for the election, 
by covering himself in the drapings of the emperorship. And this goes back to right after Otto III dies. See, when the funeral procession of Otto III was making its way through Bavaria, on its way to its final resting place, Henry came and mourned the emperor with a simple, Man, it's just so sad. My nephew's dead. Can I have his stuff? Yes. He did not come to offer condolences or weep at the death of his lord, but instead was just simply trained to gain the imperial regalia, including the Holy Lance. Now, he officially claimed he wanted to do this simply to hold on to the items for safekeeping. But no one was buying that story. They all knew what was coming up. And as such, Bishop Herbert had sent the items ahead to Saxony for safekeeping. Now, part of this was because he didn't want Henry to steal the items, but it also should be mentioned that this bishop had a cousin in Swabia, the name of Herman II. Yes, the other contender for the throne. Despite this drawback, Henry decided to move ahead with his plans of becoming emperor by twice trying to get everyone to say that he was going to be emperor. First, he did it at the funeral procession. He's like, hey guys, just name me as the next emperor. We'll get this started. We'll get everything taken care of. No one said yes. So he tried it again at the funeral. He's like, guys, I know we're here. We mourn our lost emperor. Anyway, make me the next emperor. It's just cool. Let's just do that. And again, no one went for it. They all kind of felt that Henry was being a little too slippery and a little too uh, untrustworthy to be emperor. And to be fair, when he kills Eckhard, or <clears throat> was around the death of Eckhard, whose death was very favored for Henry, suspicions went even higher that this might not be the guy we want on the throne. And so, it turns out that Herman II of Swabia is the one that wins the election. It is going to be him that's going to be crowned. Now, this is, of course, a little bit of a shocker. I mean, I told you very little about Herman. He's also not the name of the episode. So, you know, this is kind of like, hmm, hmm, this is a little suspicious. But to be fair, no one really thought Herman was going to win in the beginning. He was simply the guy that was, you know, not dead and not the one who killed the other guy. Uh, He was a little bit favored because he did have a lot of friends in court. But he didn't have the credentials nor the birthright of the other two. And so when Herman won the election, plans were made to have him be made emperor later in the summer. The election happens in April, and then uh, in that summer, he's supposed to be crowned as king. And then he'll move down to Italy, deal with Italy, and then get the royal crown of Italy. And then he'll become emperor, thanks to the Pope. At least that's the plan. And this was all decided in April of that year. However, Henry decided that this was not the way that things were going to go. He was not going to accept defeat. He was not just going to sit there and let this Herman kid take all that was supposed to be his. He learned from his father, you take what you can get. And so, while Herman was celebrating the fact that he just won the election, word was sent out that Henry was going to just announced himself as the king of Germany and started to call himself the king of the Germans. Now, this broke precedent from the previous crowning, which had all taken place, first of all, in Aachen, since Otto I. And, second of all, 
the king of the Germans had always been elected by the electors. Not just someone saying, yeah, I'm the king. Deal with it. So Henry was breaking a lot of rules by doing this. And of course, Hermann, who just officially won the right way, was not going to just sit there and take this. Which of course means that, that there's going to be a civil war. However, while Hermann sat there on his laurels preparing for the war by expecting everyone to back him up, Henry went out and actually garnered as much support as he could by offering a lot of concessions. These concessions included such things as giving Bernard I of Saxony the ability to rule the Saxons under Henry. So, Bernard would answer to Henry, and the Saxons would answer to Bernard. And this would happen throughout the entire empire. Others would get taxes lifted, or would be allowed to set their own taxes. And we see a very, very important change in the empire. Previously, the empire had been consolidating its power, putting everything under the power of the emperor. But Henry was selling all of this in order to secure himself a throne. Because of everything he was giving away, Henry was able to buy the nobles to his side rather quickly. And all the friendships that, well, that Herman was relying on just melted away. This moves so quickly that within a year, this is all happening in the year 1002, within the year, Herman realizes he can't win. And so in October, he reaches out to Henry and asks for terms, saying, look, I have to accept the fact that I can't be emperor anymore. I can't be the king. So I'm going to hand it over to you. Will you let me live? And Henry decides that, yes, you can live and you can keep your lands. And Herman would bend the knee. Henry would allow him to continue to rule. And on Christmas Day, 1002, it's officially sealed when Henry orders Herman to arrive at the court. And Herman does, signaling that he has given up all concessions to Henry, the new king of the Germans. Herman, by the way, would be dead five months later. Uh, apparently causes are natural, but, you know, that's a little shocking that the third and final candidate for the uh, kings of the Germans also dies right after the election. Just a little suspicious. So Germany is now secured for Henry, but Italy and the eastern territories are up for question. First was Duke uh, Bartosov, who had favored both of Henry's rivals and wanted a continuation of semi-independence that had been established under Otto III for Poland. To secure Henry's acceptance, he had taken over two marches on the Oder River and was able to persuade Henry to let him keep one of them. He gave the other one back, but he kept the other one as a securance for his semi-independence of Poland. Things seemed to be on the up and up when Boleslav left, only for assassins to attack him on the road home, seriously injuring him. And yeah, this is definitely Henry's work. Henry was not above using assassins as we saw before, and he clearly tried here now. However, this was probably the worst mistake Henry ever made, because Balasov survived, knew it was Henry, and knew that Henry could never be trusted. As such, he said that Henry was no longer his liege for the attempt on his life, 
and severed all connections with the king. However, before war could break out between the Poles and the Germans, it would have to be Italy that would have been dealt with first. Yes, Henry has failed to deal with Balasov like he wanted, but he's not quite ready to go to war with him. He's got to go and deal with those bloody, bloody Italians to the south first. Henry, upon the start of his reign, had issued a seal with the words, quote, Restoration of the Frankish Kingdom, end quote. So this was, of course, a slight against Otto III, who wanted to rebuild the Roman Empire, and a promise to the people that he was focusing on rebuilding the old Frankish Empire, that their focus would be on the Frankish lands, not the Italian lands. But that did not mean he was giving up completely on Italy. He wanted to rebuild control of the region. Now, Italy, during this whole succession crisis, had fallen to a new king, the Margrave of Vera, and was declared as the Kingdom of Italy, an entirely separate entity from the Germans. Now, this initially had the support of the church, thanks to the Archbishop of Milan, but when word spread that that same archbishop had killed another bishop, the support had turned away from the king, and it was now the German archbishops that were starting to get the ear of the pope and convince them that maybe, maybe it was the time to allow the emperor to come back. So, once more, the pope called for the German emperor to come into the peninsula and restore its place. Now, the first attempt was a complete disaster, as Henry's troops were defeated at the Battle of Fabrica, and forced out of the peninsula completely. A year later, in 1004, Henry tried again, and seemed to turn the tide routing the Italians and crowning himself King of Italy on May 14th in Pavia. Again, he broke the tradition and wore two crowns, one for each of his kings, rather than using a common crown, which had been just the common practice for the German and Italian kings. After the coronation, the people of Italy were really ready to show that they were done with the Germans, who had been basically treating the region as theirs to loot. As such, the locals launched a rebellion against the emperor, surrounding the palace and catching Henry at dinner. Now, Henry was able to escape thanks to the timely involvement of his army and decided that he needed to teach all of Italy a lesson, and he put the entire town to sword. Now, eventually, Henry would leave after decimating the city of Pavia, but the city of Pavia was just so left in ruins. It was destroyed beyond belief that it actually, for the first time in a long time, left Italy in a sort of semi peaceful state because they were just so shocked at what the Germans had done. And in fact, while Henry will be going up north to deal with his other problems, Italy will not cause any problems for Henry. So Henry goes north, deciding that he's done with Italy for now. He doesn't really want to stay, which is another break of tradition from previous uh, German emperors. They seem to love to stay in Italy much to the chagrins of my listeners. And instead, he decides to go home and convalesce in Aachen and plan to deal with the Poles. The reason why he has to deal with the Poles is actually, due to a very confusing circumstance for us, Bohemia. 
Now, what's been happening in Bohemia at this point is that there's a gentleman named Boleslas III who is ruling Bohemia and doing a really poor job. He has made all of his nobles hate him. And so he's overthrown in the year um, 1002. And he goes and he talks to Boleslas of Poland. And he says, hey, my dude, uh, can you get me back on the throne? I'm, I messed up. That was my bad. Let's just, you know, let's redo this. And Boleslas is like, okay, I can do that for you. I'll put you back on the throne. No problem. And so he takes an army, he defeats the Bohemians, reestablishes Boleslas III onto the throne, and immediately Boleslas goes around and says, all right, round two. And he immediately tries to eliminate all those nobles who had risen up and revolt against him. Now, you can't exactly blame him for wanting to get rid of the nobles, but, I mean, come on, dude, that was why they overthrew you in the first place, because you were just being a real pain in their butt and not listening to them. And so Boleslas, in the year 1003, tries to wipe out all those nobles in a massacre. But they get away, and they rise up in revolt, and again kick him off the throne. And once more, Boleslas goes over to Boleslas, and he says, Listen, I am so sorry, I got thrown off my throne again. Can we please try again, get me set up, and I promise I won't make the same mistake thrice. And our Polish boy looks at him, smiles, and says, no. Claps him in irons, blinds him, and throws him in prison, where he will spend the next 30 years there before he dies. Yeah, this is a massive betrayal of their relationship. And it's made even worse when the I of Poland waltzes into Bohemia, and all those nobles make him their new duke. So Boleslas, who's been ruling a good portion of modern-day Poland, is now given most of Bohemia. And this is, you know, uh, what would have been the Czech regions. This, of course, completely flummoxes Henry and scares him because now Boleslas doesn't rule just these tribes that have turned Christian in Poland. He rules a rather powerful region to the south of the empire as well. It was something that he was not going to be able to let stand. It also really annoyed him when he found out that Boleslas had sent a letter to the Pope asking him to be made king, an equal of Henry's, and making sure that he would not be subjugated to Henry later on, even if he decided to become the emperor. So Henry said, well, screw that. It's time to bring you to heel. And so in 1004 gathering his army who had just come home from Italy, he turns eastward and plans the invasion of Poland. So, the war begins with Henry sending a letter to Balsas saying, hey, we're at war, the Balsas king. Okay. And attacks, takes a castle, and burns it down. And really showing that while Henry was all words and like, oh, I'm going to get you, you're going to deal with it, Balsas was about action. He was going to immediately do what he could damage-wise and prepare defenses because he knew he could never really take on the Emperor in a one-on-one fight. And this would prove to be quite the match for Henry. Henry was hoping to use his words and his position of power to force Balasov to back down, to bend the knee. 
But he never put much action behind those words, at least not enough. And as such, Balasov was constantly being able to get away with the war. And over the next 14 years, a fierce civil war, or rebellion really, between Balasov and Henry would break out. Now, Henry botched the initial attack by failing to keep the Germans unified. You see, he had halted Christianization of the Slavic tribes in the north. This was one of the policies that he passed as soon as he became king, and it was really unpopular. See, many of the nobles relied on the expansion of Christianization to expand their lands and their wealth. I mean, yeah, great, woohoo, we're spreading Christianity, but I really want that land, I really want all the money and slaves that comes with it. With the halt of it in order to focus on the Poles, it made many of the nobles unhappy about the war. Now, if Henry had taken the next step forward, it might not have been as bad of a mistake, because what Henry was trying to do was halt the Christianization and build a strong relationship with the Baltic tribes in order to use them as allies against Balasov. However, while he did stop the Christianization, really upsetting his nobles, he failed to build the relationship with those tribes. Most of those tribes will actually turn out to be allies of Balasov because he gives them things that they want. He builds the relationship that Henry should have been doing. Despite these very, very important mistakes, Henry launches his attack in the summer of 1004, crossing the Ore Mountains of northern Bohemia. Initially, it looks great. He takes a castle, he defeats the Polish army position to stop him, and further to the south, he's able to create an army under the deposed duke's younger brother. You remember the guy who's now clapped in irons and blinded. While this younger brother invades Bohemia with his army, planning to retake the entire territory, and rule it under Henry's reign as a vassal, officially bringing Bohemia into the empire. Now, Balasov fled, surrendering Prague, realizing he couldn't hold on to it, and fell back to Moravia to build up support. Uh, this younger brother, the duke, a man by the name of Jaromir, took Prague and declared himself Duke of Bohemia, and made sure everyone knew that his patron was going to be Henry. So, 1004, great year, great success, everything is starting off just the way he wants it. And then it goes downhill. See, he takes about a year to rebuild his army and to get those discontented nobles back in line. After which, he decides to march deep into Poland and try to bring Balasov into battle and crush him. However, Balasov is too crafty. He realizes, I can never defeat you in a one-on-one. I'm going to stay back in the forest. I'm going to wait for you to come to me. And I'm going to pick you off one by one. And that's what happens. German troops start dropping by the score to Polish rebels, to bad supply lines, and Polish tactics of attacking smaller German forces rather than the large force under Henry. This all culminated in the disaster of Poznan, in which an entire German column was ambushed and nearly wiped out, forcing Henry to accept that he could not defeat Boleslav. And so they signed a peace treaty where Balasov would keep Poland, but lose everything else. Now, this treaty would only last two years, because neither side was fully happy with it, and Henry really wanted to force Balasov to bend the knee, or, you know, take off his head. 
And so in the year 1007, Henry gathered another army to attack Balasov. But he announced that he was done with the treaty and blustered for a bit, allowing Balasov to move quicker. Balasov retook the old marshes that he had been forced to surrender and put Henry on the back foot. It was such a surprising move that it would take Henry three years to finally break Balasov's control of those marshes. But it was so expensive and damaging to Henry's prestige that he just immediately agreed to a peace treaty, which was broken within a month. So, yeah, that peace treaty was going to last. After breaking this new peace treaty, they would fight for another year within the borderlands, as the Polish and German lands would end up in flames. Finally, at this point, in the year 109, a treaty was made, though... Many agreed that it was not going to last as long. I mean, you've already tried three times now to make peace. This is just not going to work. Now, they did try to officially seal the treaty by doing the most common thing, marriage. Balasov's son would marry the granddaughter of Otto II, and hopefully with that, you know, that could seal the deal. And it was not. This devastating war for the eastern regions had absolutely solved nothing and would be renewed, as we will see, within the year. But that's a year away, and an entire episode away for us, because now, well now, we are going back into Italy. See, Henry needed to rebuild his control of Germany, and he was going to use that year to do so. His attempts to build an empire that would let him rule had damaged his ability to do much. I mean, he had given away basically his rights to control the Saxons, uh, the Thuringians, along with several others. And by doing this, he had effectively made it impossible for him to wage a war against the Poles and rule with an iron fist like he wanted. I mean, when you give so much away, you can't expect to hold on to much afterwards. With the free reign that these nobles had under Henry's thumb, he decided that something had to change. He needed their full support in the wars in Poland, and he wasn't getting it. So what was going to change? How was he going to be able to fix this? Well, the one thing that everyone kept reminding him, and what I've slipped in and out of calling him because it's very difficult to keep up between the two in my mind, is that everyone kept calling him King Henry because he was king of the Germans, and technically king of the Italians, though the other king of Italy was still around and claiming he was the actual king. But they were only calling him their king. They weren't calling him emperor because, you know, he hadn't been crowned by the Pope yet. He had been ruling this entire time without the Pope's blessing. And it really frustrated Henry to be called this constantly. So, He decided that he was just going to have to be crowned as emperor. And maybe, just maybe, if he was crowned by the Pope, he could get those nobles back in line, have them support him, and he could finish this war with Balasov. So, that means we have to go to the one place that we've been dreading. we got to go back to Italy, guys. 
Now, as I said, Italy has been quiet these last few years after the destruction of Pavia, which is just astounding considering the last few emperors' problems with the region. Currently, Pope John XVIII was reigning and was under the thumb of the partition of Rome. He, along with his replacement in 1009, Sergius IV, had refused Henry's quest to be crowned emperor in Germany. Part of this was the fact they wanted to maintain the power by having this done in Rome, but it's also because Rome did not want to have Henry as their emperor. They were tired of having these German emperors come down, take over their territory, and rule them with an iron thumb. It was really annoying and very bloody. However, this all changed when Benedict VIII came to power, because he came to power against the support of the patricians of Rome. And when you do that, you either have to put those partitions in their place or get out of town because they will murder you. And Benedict decided option B was the way to go. He fled Rome and went north to Henry and told Henry, saying, look, if you can get me back on the papal throne, I will crown you as emperor. So having peace finally with the Poles, Henry decided to do that. He marched south. He quickly put things in order. When he trapped the so-called king of Italy, he had been quiet this entire time, by the way. It's a very good try. But, again, he got in the way of Henry. He was, he was trapped and would be forced to uh, be on standby for the next year, just waiting uh, for his attempt to break out. And Henry was able to put Benedict back on the throne. And, considering Benedict was pope and he had uh, his papal throne, he kept his end of the bargain. And finally... After 12 years, the empire officially had an emperor. Henry is now the new emperor and the last of the Ottonian dynasty. And next month, we will see why he is the last of the Ottonian dynasty. But until then, I hope you all have a wonderful winter break, a grand New Year's, and I hope you have a lovely time with friends and family.